So I'd like to show you one of the things that I found most amusing from this recent holiday season. And it was just at the start of the holiday season when I saw this. It was from the satirical news source, The Onion. Nations, uncles enter last stage of prep for Thursday's Thanksgiving debates. <laughs> They're ready to go. Maybe you have an uncle, maybe you are that uncle, maybe you have an aunt, maybe you are that aunt, maybe you've got relatives who, it seems every time the family gets together, just kind of throws some sand into the ointment of the conversation. And I got to tell you, I found this amusing because I didn't think, you know, this was my family. And then Christmas dinner showed up this year. <laughs> I was with um, extended relatives, distant relatives, but honestly, people I don't see that often, but I'm kind of fond of them, and I'm still fond of them. However, the conversation started, this part of the conversation I'm going to reference, started in telling a story about an interaction that one of the people had with someone in a casino. The casino, always the, the best laboratory for human kindness, human warmth. <laughs> the, the best of humanity you find in a casino, right? Well, this one anecdote became a whole series of diatribes about recent immigrant populations to this country. And I kind of sat there just... Breathe in, breathe out, recognize my stress, recognize that my shoulders are starting to go up. Just even telling this story right now is making me a little tense and just breathe, be with it. It'll be over soon. All things are impermanent. But the conversation kept going on. Conversation that used words like they, them, those people. Speaking about folks they were talking about as if they were alien not quite human. And at some point, after I'd taken my breath long enough, I said, now's the time for some skillful action. I didn't want to be the, the turd in the punch bowl, but <laughs> rather, I was going to be the punch in the turd bowl. <laughs> and I say, I'm sorry, I find what you're saying deeply offensive. My wife, you may not know, is Puerto Rican. My best friend of the world. I performed his wedding and was best man in his wedding, and he was best man at my wedding. First generation Korean American. And beyond just the personal skin in the game I got on this, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong in that second and third generation new immigrant groups. They're not not learning English. In fact, I've read about this somewhat. They're actually assimilating into the dominant language quicker than other immigrant groups were before them. And I said, this is the thing, though, that I really want you to hear. Because this is about all of us in this room right here. Because, uh, like myself, a number of the people there were of Jewish ancestry. Please, when you hear these words of they, them, other, alien, dirty, cheap, untrustworthy, all these words you're now speaking of those people, the them, was said 
about us. 100 to 150 years ago, and we were the new immigrants. I don't know if it registered or not, but I had to say it. This message series, The Power of With, is about cultivating within ourselves and also in our relationships attitudes of receptivity, mutuality, vulnerability, and openness. And so what I want to talk about here today is that the opposite of with is not without. The opposite of with is other. Making ourselves making other people an other, foreign, alien, not quite human. Because the truth is, this attitude that I heard around that Christmas dinner table is an attitude that we're hearing more of in our society. We heard it recently from, from uh, one of these people here to show the slide. Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson, the one who I think is scowling the most, my right, your left, Phil Robertson, the kind of patriarch of this clan. I had watched 10 seconds of Duck Dynasty my entire life, I think. But it's a hit show, and it's on A&E. And so uh, Phil Robertson was interviewed by, I think, GQ magazine and started to share some opinions about GLBT people and particularly gay men. Compared the gay men to addicts. Now, I'm a person who's in recovery from addiction. I consider it highly offensive <laughs> that my struggles with addiction are in any kind of ballpark to how people are called to love each other. There's nothing in that that's similar. Then he went a step further and talked about comparing gay men to bestiality, to animals. That's the way, that's the most strong way that other people are made and other, an alien, non-human, say that they're animals. That's what he said. Phil Robertson was also asked about uh, being a son of the South, uh, about uh, black people that he knew in the 40s and 50s, and these are his, his words. He said, pre-entitlement, pre-welfare, you say, were they, black people, happy? His answer, they were godly. They were happy. No one was singing the blues. How convenient for Phil Robertson that he invented a whole other time that never existed. <laughs> no legacy of slavery, no Jim Crow, which goes by another name, American apartheid, no racist terrorism, no lynching, and perhaps not even the opening to the idea that, yes, even if his individual interactions with individual black folks were positive that maybe this is something black people had learned in a society in which their lives were considered less, that this was a way that they simply stayed alive. We recognize that there are challenging times in this country right now, and many people are frightened, especially after the Great Recession, because for many people, they're still living in it. Resources feel more scarce. We are soon to be a majority, minority country. Power is being renegotiated in all kinds of ways in our culture. And this can make us uncomfortable. And pretending sometimes it doesn't make us uncomfortable doesn't do us any good. But our simple fact of the 
the idea that we may feel discomfort is no excuse for imagining a past that didn't exist or making a whole group or whole groups of other people other, alien, foreign. See, this is a dodge so we don't have to work with a present tense being, our time, that may challenge us and may push our buttons. See, to make a person or a people an other is to dismiss them, dismiss their reality, dismiss their experience, and that is the first step to dehumanizing them. And so the reasoning may go like this. It's not certainly my reasoning. I think it's abjectly horrible, but the reasoning might go like this. If those gays, those people are sick, well, then why should we have to care about the protection of law for their lives and their loves? If those blacks were so happy back then, we don't have to care about the potential erosion and the real erosion of civil or voting rights, which, by the way, Unitarian blood was shed for. Viola Liuzza, Reverend James Reeb, gave their life to expand the definition of who the American us was. If these immigrants, those people are hostile to America, don't want to learn our customs, don't want to learn our language, well, let's just show them the door. They don't belong here. In all of this othering, we see how human beings create classes of people called the untouchables. People that really aren't like us. People who we make it a little bit easier for ourselves to dehumanize. Reality is big and complex, and I will admit it, often scary. And we bump up against people we may not understand initially. And this is why living with and cultivating the power of with in our lives is so important. So that we continually open up space to understand, to love, and to potentially heal the rifts that exist between us. On this weekend of celebrating the life the legacy, the teachings of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. It's so important to remember he's not a symbol. Just like we say with the lighting of this chalice, it's not about past. It's about what's here and what's present. He's not a postage stamp or a holiday. He's a person whose teachings changed America because America was willing to be challenged. In MLK's words, in one of his most famous passages, we hear the call of the power of with. These are his words. We must all learn to live together as siblings or we will all perish together as fools. We are tied together in a single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Whatever affects one affects directly all. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is. This is the way God's universe is structured. This is how we call it one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, that our freedom finds its fulfillment with each other. This call teaches us that the ethical and spiritual opposite of making others is to learn to live with our experience and other folks' experience. Because with is not about escape clauses, escape clauses of demonizing, scapegoating, making others. With is about continuously punching our entrance ticket 
so that we're finding deeper ways to live with each other. Last week, I, I talked about uh, a continuous theme in Hebrew Scripture, which was uh, poorly applied all throughout Hebrew Scripture. They violate it all the time, but it doesn't mean that the teaching isn't really valuable. It's about hospitality. Hospitality with those who are different. And so Exodus, the great book of liberation in the Hebrew Scriptures, says very directly the ancient Israelites heard the voice of their God speaking to them after they had been liberated from Egypt. These simple words, so complex to live out though. You shall not oppress a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You know the heart of an alien. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. This is the connection. This is the cultivation point between the attitude of the with within, facing our own stuff honestly, openly, fearlessly, and extending that with within to the with without all around us. Because maybe you're just a little bit like me. It is easy to forget our experience of alienness. It is easy to deny our experiences of being marginalized, of being wounded, of feeling the outsider, of feeling vulnerable. It is easy to want to push away these experiences, not recognizing at the same time that if we remember these parts of ourselves, we will recognize what makes us one with all of humanity. And that if we can learn to stay close to our outsiderness, our sense of loneliness, our sense of woundedness, our sense of vulnerability, that maybe, in fact, we will find a way around to the place of the most powerful common love, compassion, and belonging with humanity that there is. This sense of humanity is found and cultivated in this hospitality. And years ago, I saw a, a particularly sad instance of when this hospitality was taken away from one young person, and I could see the seeds, perhaps, of that inhospitable attitude being cast before them into their lives. It was maybe about 20 years ago when I was walking um, on a beach in New Haven, Connecticut, when I was in Divinity School, and I was with the woman I was seeing at the time. We were walking along the ocean, and we came, and we sat down on a little park bench, and there were two boys, I'm going to say eight and ten brothers, and they were um, hanging out on this big, giant uh, statue of a turtle, taking turns, jumping off the turtle down into the sand. And at one point, they saw that we were looking at them, and they started to get very creative. They started to do like double axles and a backflip. I'm remembering it this way. But they really just, they wanted to show off. And at one point, one of the kids really pulled off this aerobic air maneuver that was really impressive. And he kind of landed and was feeling really good about himself. And like we were smiling at him. And the brother who was older and up on the turtle said this. Don't look at that little faggot. Look at me. And you could see for a moment that word was intentional. That word was intended to wound. That word was intended to make his brother an other. You could see the young boy's lips start to quiver. You could see that he wanted to cry, but he didn't. That's how the mask gets formed. When we turn away from the difficult parts. 
And so actually what he did is, you know, brothers do this, climb back up on the turtle and push his older brother off. It's understandable. But in that moment, what I could see was the mask of hardness, the mask of not caring, the mask of fearing, I don't want to be an other. I don't want to be set out. See, we put that mask of invulnerability on ourselves and hide our woundedness. It makes it so much easier to then put that mask on others and deny their humanity, make them other. I recently saw a video that's about young boys and young men, although I think it applies all throughout our culture in terms of what happens in those moments and in our culture overall, when we deny the power, the natural good yearning power to want to be with. Here's the video. Stop crying. Stop with the tears. Don't cry. Pick yourself up. Stop with the emotions. Don't be a pussy. Don't let nobody disrespect you. Be cool and be kind of a dick. Always keep your mouth shut. Nobody likes a tattletale. Bros come before hoes. Don't let you women run your life. You bitch. What a fag. Get laid. Do something. Be a man. Be a man. Grow some balls. The three most destructive words that every man receives when he's a boy is when he's told to be a man. We've constructed an idea of masculinity in the United States that doesn't give young boys a way to feel secure in their masculinity. So we make them go prove it all the time. Within their peer group culture, each of them is posturing based on how the other boys are posturing. And what they end up missing is what they each really want, which is just that closeness. In good times, guys are like really close to each other. But when things get a little bit worse, you're on your own. From middle school, I had four really close friends. But once I kind of went into high school, I struggle finding people I can talk to because I feel like I'm not supposed to get help. Our kids get up every morning. They have to prepare their mask for how they're going to walk to school. A lot of our students don't know how to take the mask off. What is it you don't let people see? Almost 90% of you have pain and anger on the back of that paper. If you never cry, then you have all these feelings stuffed up inside of you, and then you can't get them out. They really buy into the, a culture that doesn't value what we've feminized. If we're in a culture that doesn't value caring, doesn't value relationships, doesn't value empathy, you are going to have boys and girls, men and women, go crazy. I had anger issues in high school. I felt like an outcast. I've been suspended at least once every year I was here. We would just look for trouble and just like try to fight. Boys are more likely to act out. They're more likely to become aggressive. Most people miss that as depression or see it as a conduct disorder, or just a bad kid. I felt like just giving up on life. You know, I actually had suicide thought to my head at sixth grade. I felt alone for, for a long time, and I actually thought about killing myself. Whether it's homicidal violence or suicidal violence, people resort to such desperate behavior only when they are feeling shamed and humiliated or feel they would be if they didn't prove that they were real men. If you're told from day one, don't let nobody disrespect you, and this is the way you handle it as a man, respect is linked to violence. If I can man up, why step down from that, you feel me? It's like instinct. So man up! Man up.
like a man. Be a man. Be a man. For my kids, I was going to end this hyper-masculine narrative here. And the natural goodness of our desire for with, to connect, to be understood, to love, gets violated. We can see the harm that arises to ourselves and to other people. See, to make others, to make ourselves an other, and to cascade that out into our relationships, it's a violation of our universalism, of this tradition, which calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, as the fulfillment of universalism. Universalism, which simply puts as this, that love is our origin and finally our destination, and that if we can wake up to this truth of this all-encompassing, all-abiding, omnipresent love, then we might recognize what it is to be companions with each other in our journey right now. Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy, and not just his legacy, but his gift to us, is this vision of a life transformed by with. I mean, his most famous oratory, not his best necessarily, but certainly his most well-known, he had so many, I have a dream, which is a vision of the power of with, that he saw in his time that it might be that the children of slaveholders might sit down with the children of slaves one day in fellowship. Since Dr. King's day, we have made strides in that area. No one would deny that. And yet, there is so far to go, especially in this difficult time in the life of our country, to live out and to live into the power of living with each other, to sit down at the table of fellowship alongside one another. And I was struck by this image of the table of fellowship with an image I want to leave you with today. And it came from a surprising place, from some surprising people, it came from that brief time period in which same-sex couples were allowed to be wed in the state of Utah. And it's coming back again. This is a brief detour on the road to equality. And what that photo is there is of Boy Scouts handing out pizza in Utah to the workers in the License and Registration Bureau who had stayed late to create space for that crush of gay and lesbian couples who are coming in to be registered to be wed. And they went on down the line with the workers and with the couples there themselves, feeding them. The power of with makes reconciliation possible. And although I have to admit at times when I'm not feeling particularly um, all that optimistic about this human enterprise, at base, I am a universalist. So what I also do believe, sometimes against the evidence, is that reconciliation is not just possible, it's inevitable. It is found in the attitude of with. 
It is found in the attitude of the ancient words from a Roman slave who was freed and became a playwright who wrote this, I am a human being. I consider nothing that is human alien to me. May we recognize our kinship with each other. May we recognize the path of making others is a false path. It is a way of doing harm. May we recognize and honor and live with our ultimate kinship with each other. Today, especially in honor of Dr. King's legacy and teachings for us. In honor of him, yes, but even more in honor of us. May we live with and create wide the channels and streams of love. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of width, of connection, of the holy and sacred untethered bond that is never broken, that calls each to each and all to all and reminds us that truly as we develop our humanity, our humaneness, we can draw wide the circle of our hope and the circle of our belonging and turning away from paths of harm and hurt, the paths of wholeness and healing, that we belong unalterably, unchangeably, we belong, and so does everyone else. Amen.